How many of you guys did the readings this week? Raise your hand. Woohoo! If you have not been doing the readings, you're really missing out. You really need to be doing the readings. Number one, uh, you can get the booklet. One of the things we're doing at Heights, if you're new here, um, one of the things we're doing at Heights is we're going through the Bible in five years period of time. And how we're doing that is we read as a congregation together six days a week. And then the seventh day, which is today, we will come together and the word will be broken from what we've read during the week. So we get a deeper and better context of some or all of what we've read this past week. In the book of Psalms that we're doing right now, we're doing it in a very unique way. It's not like we're reading Psalm chapter 1 through Psalm chapter 150. We have broken it up according to the types of Psalms that they are. And so if you're just trying to read through, you know, straight through Psalms and thinking you're going to keep up with us, you're not because we'll be on someplace, some, someplace totally different. So I very much encourage you. We have books of the Psalms that are just broken up into our daily readings. Um, and all it is, is just a Bible. Or you can get a bookmark and use your own Bible. It doesn't matter. The bookmark has all the readings on the dates and, and how we're doing that. But we don't want you lost. We also want you more blessed because the way we're doing Psalms, this unique way of doing it, we're going to learn a lot through the Word of God together. Um, and I'm really excited about this week of Psalms. Um, this week's is, is the historic and the covenant psalms, okay? And, and what this uh, means is that it goes back over the histories of Israel, the histories and the promises of God to the people of Israel, and kind of repeats them back to God, you know, in song form. One of the things that, that um, you and I need to understand is throughout the scriptures, there are all these places of reminder, that are given by God to God's people so that they won't forget him. Uh, you can think back to Joshua as they crossed the Jordan River. When they crossed the Jordan River, he was commanded to go grab 12 stones from the river, one representing one of each tribe, to talk about this is where God brought us. This is how God was faithful to bring us across into the land of promise as he promised us to do that. So whenever somebody comes to this monument of stones and says, hey, why are those stones there? You'll be able to say, this is why that has happened, right? We can see the same thing that happens when God sets up festivals. For example, the festival of Passover, as he's delivering the people of Israel out of bondage from Egypt, he sets up Passover as right before the death of all the firstborns so that people will understand. And when you celebrate this Passover, it's to remember what God did so long ago to free the people of Israel. All of these things are set up as reminders. We can read in Deuteronomy chapter 6 saying, you know what, uh, you know, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And these precepts are to be in your mouths. And you're supposed to talk about them when you wake up in the morning. And talk about them when you walk alongside the road. And when you sit down to eat. And when you lay down at night. And you're to put them as frontlets upon you. And they're supposed to be on your doorstep, on your doorstops. Everything that was there was supposed to be a reminder to the people of Israel so they wouldn't forget about God. How many of you have pictures at home that have scripture verses on them? Some of you are like, I have pictures at home. Start raising your hands real quick. Like, Let me finish. So how many of you have pictures at home with scripture verses on them? 
How many of you adorn your Facebook page with pictures and, and put your profile and have, have scripture verses or something like that on them so people will know or you will be reminded whose you are? See, we're supposed to be doing this. What, what happened with the people of Israel, what would happen with the people of Israel is despite all of God's commands for all of these reminders, there came a time in Judges where it said, you know what, in those days Israel had no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They had already rejected God as king, had rejected his commands, and, and did what was right in their own eyes. And why is that? Judges chapter 2, starting in verse 10, it said, And then there grew up a generation after Joshua, and his whole generation died, that neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then one generation they had forgotten, because they hadn't remembered these memorials that they had put in their house and in their land. The histories are important And so what we have is we have songs. And you know what happened? Right after um, crossing the Red Sea and God delivering the people from Israel, what we see is the song of Moses and the song of Miriam, both of them commemorated in Scripture to remember what God had done. And the Psalms that we have read this last week hearken back to those things so that the people of God won't forget You know, there's been a lot of unrest in this country over the last year. And one of the things that happened during the last year was we started seeing throughout the summer and, and partially in the fall was the destruction of a lot of monuments in the United States. And the destruction of the monument of the United States, in my opinion, was a travesty for a couple of reasons. Because somehow we, we seem to identify with the monuments that if it's being uh, memorialized that it must have been a good thing. But that's not how monuments work. Monuments are to remember the event, whether good or bad. And if you read this week, and you read the Psalms this week, then you would recognize that not everything that went back on the covenant that was remembering what had happened was all good stuff. Some of it was talking about God's deliverance, and some of it was very stark in its reminder of Israel's unfaithfulness. And so destroying the idea of of monuments or these reminders that are there destroys both the good that we're supposed to remember and the bad that we're not supposed to fall into again. And we do so at our own detriment. Today, we're going to look at Psalm 89. So we look at the very last psalm of the week and look at some of the things that are in this passage of Scripture that hearken back. I'm so excited about today's psalm. I really, really am. I'm excited because we are getting ready for Easter and you're going to see Jesus all in the middle of this. I'm so excited about that. And yet, learn something about the promises of God and and how we should react to those promises, no matter the circumstances around us. So Psalm 89, if you'll start with me, we're going to read the first 18 verses together. Amasco of Ethan, the Ezraite. Before I get into the word, um, I do want to mention this. Um, uh, the uh, Ethan, the Ezraite. You guys might be saying, well, who's that? Because he's written one psalm, Right? How do we know anything about him? Well, if you look in the Bible in 1 Kings chapter 4, 
it speaks of him at the end of the chapter when talking about Solomon's wisdom. So 1 Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 29, it says this, And God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than any other man, including Ethan the Ezraite, wiser than Heman, Calcol, and Dardra, the sons of Mahol, and his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. So there's two people here outside of Solomon that have written Psalms. One of them is Ethan, and the other one is Heman. Okay, you, uh, Heman wrote, this is not Masters of the Universe. I know some of you were thinking that. Heman was one of the musicians that's mentioned oftentimes in First and Second Chronicles, and he uh, was given insight to write one of the Psalms as well. And so there's a lot more mention of Heman there's, than there's actually mentioned of Ethan. But from, from this passage of Scripture, we recognize that he was considered one of the wisest men that people knew. Right? He's listed by name here by only about five or six names that obviously everybody at the time of Solomon knew about, and Ethan is one of them. And he wrote one of these. So this means he's probably a contemporary of Solomon, or earlier than Solomon, more likely he lived during the time of David, his father. And some of the insight that we see within the psalm kind of gives us that indication. All right, so let's get a little bit of the heart of this wise man who's known for his wisdom, not as wise as Solomon, but definitely not dumb, right? All right, verse 1. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you establish your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your line forever. And you made your throne firm through all generations. Selah. The heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness too, in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea, and when its waves mount up, you still them. You crush Rahab like one of the slain. With your strong arm, you scattered the, your enemies. The heavens are yours. Also yours are the earth. You founded the world and all that's in it. You created the north and the south. Tabor and Hermon sing for joy at your name. Your arm is endued, endued with power. Your hand is strong. Your right hand exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, O Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They exult in your righteousness, for you are their glory and strength. And by your favor, you exalt our horn. Indeed, our shield belongs to the Lord, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. Man, just get that praise of God, right? That's why I love the praises today. They're just so focused on Christ. Wasn't that awesome today? And I have to admit, I don't praise God as much as I should. Here's one of the wisest men 
who lived during that time, the one psalm that is attributed to him, and he opens it with this cascade of praise. He knows to whom he's praying and composing this song to. And he sings about his faithfulness, and he sings about his goodness, and he sings about his righteousness, that his throne is on faithfulness and righteousness and justice, and his love goes before him. That he created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. That's pretty a majestic sight, right? That's a pretty huge description. And I don't think we spend enough time thinking about that. I know I talked a few weeks ago, I talked last week uh, that, that I was up here about the majesty of God and, and the glory of the heavens and the earth. But honestly, the more I think about it, the less time I really spend. We're, we're busy. We go from place to place to moment to moment not thinking about the glory of God. And, and it hurts us. Because that spontaneous praise, because of who He is, right, doesn't leave our lips. Because we're just hassled from one place to another, to another, to another, to another, right? And our prayers are more uttered in, in the sense of, God, I need this. I need this right now. Can you help me through this? I'm going through this hard time. I'm feeling harassed. There's all this other stuff going on. He spends the first third of this psalm just in praise of God for what he's done, for who he is for how faithful he is, for how righteous he is, for his justice. And he hearkens back to the covenants that have been made with David and with Israel. There, there's a verse in here I, w- I want to point out. It says, you rule over the surging seas in verse 9. When the waves mount up, you still them. You crushed Rahab like one of the slain. In your strong arm, you scattered your enemies. Now, I don't know about you, But when you read that, you read Rahab, the only Rahab that comes to my mind, at least at first, is the one that hid the spies. How many of you thought the same thing when you're reading that? How many of you were like, that's a little confusing. I don't remember him crushing Rahab. As a matter of fact, isn't Rahab part of Jesus' line? Yes. So he didn't, what happened? And if you wonder that, how many of you were like, that, that doesn't quite make any sense. I'm sure it does in God's eyes in some way, form, or fashion. One principle you need to know about Scripture is very simple. It's a hermeneutical principle. Scripture needs to interpret Scripture. In order for us to understand who Rahab is, we need to find out, is there a Rahab spoken of in Scripture that can shed light on this passage since it doesn't seem to match up with the lady who hid the spies because God did not crush her. As a matter of fact, she was saved from being crushed. Just the opposite. So where do we go to find out? There's a couple places in Isaiah, as a matter of fact. If you'll turn with me, to Isaiah 51. Isaiah 51. Starting in verse 9. Awake, awake, clothe yourself with strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in days gone by, as in generations of old. Was it not you who cut Rahab to pieces, who pierced that monster through? Was it not you who dried up the sea in the waters of the great deep, who made a road in the depths of the sea so that the redeemed might cross over? The ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. 
All right, so Rahab here is described, first of all, as, as a creature of the deep, okay? So it's as a, as a creature of the deep to be slayed. And there's a reference here to the drying up of the sea so that the redeemed could walk through. This is the walking through the Red Sea by the people of Israel to be redeemed so they could go to Zion, so they could come to the promised land. We see further that this idea of Rahab is actually Egypt in another place in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30 and verses 6 and 7. An oracle concerning the animals of the Negev. Through a land of hardship and distress, of lions and lionesses, of adders and darting snakes, the envoys carry their riches on donkeys' backs and their treasures on the humps of camels to that unprofitable nation, to Egypt, whose help is utterly useless. Therefore, I call her Rahab, the do-nothing. And so what we see in this passage of Scripture, when we're looking at Psalm 89, and we're looking at that passage of Scripture in context, think about what has been being mentioned. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. You crush Rahab like one slain. With your strong arm, you scattered your enemies. Isn't that exactly what God did for the people of Israel as Israel was leaving Egypt? Correct? So this is a reference of that passage of Scripture, of the understanding that this is, Ethan is talking about the deliverance that God had caused the people of Israel from Egypt. And those who were in Israel would have understood that because others of later time would use that same language to refer to Egypt as well. I just thought that was cool. How about you guys? Somewhat cool? I think it's pretty cool. So, but all of that in praise. So we're praising God for his creation. We're praising God for his deliverance for the people of Israel. We're remembering what he's done and why he's praiseworthy of all. It should be part of our lives. I would dare say even the first part of those of us who call ourselves believers in Jesus Christ, it should be the first part of our life, just like it's the first part of this psalm. It should frame everything else that we see. And we're going to see why that's important later on. So we move to the second section of the scripture, starting in verse 19. Once you spoke in a vision to your faithful people, you said, I have bestowed strength on a warrior. I have exalted a young man from among the people. I have found David, my servant, with my sacred oil. I have anointed him. My hand will sustain him. Surely my arm will strengthen him. No enemy will subject him to tribute. No wicked man will oppress him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down his adversaries. My faithful love will be with him, and through my name his horn will be exalted. I will set my hand over the sea, his right hand over the waters. He will call out to me, you are my father, my God, the rock, my savior. I will also appoint him my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. I will maintain my love to him forever. And my covenant with him will never fail. I will establish his line forever, his throne as long as the heavens endure. If his sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, if they violate my decrees and fail to keep my commands, I will punish their sin with the rod, their iniquity with flogging, but I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. 
I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David that his line will continue forever. And his throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky, Selah. Wow, that's pretty impressive, right? And remember, these are songs. Psalms just mean songs, right? This is to sing, to be reminded of the things of God. I love songs. How many of you like singing? I think God has put it in our heart to sing. I love to sing. I really do. I love, how many of you love listening to music if you don't like to sing? Like three people raise their hands. We've got 20 people on our praise team and only three people raise their hands that they like to sing. Something is wrong with this picture. How many of you like to sing? Even if it's by yourself in the shower alone, raise your hands. I mean, seriously, we do. Or you like to listen to music. Raise your hand if you like to listen to music, okay? So God has placed within us a desire to want to praise something, right? And one of the things that I really love is I love when songs remind me of the one whom I should be singing to. I'm not just talking about your Christian music on your Christian radio station, because some of those songs can be rather bland. I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? I'm not a, I, I, I like Christian music, and if you love Christian music, I love Christian music, but getting on a Christian music station where you're just talking kind of la, 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 love, 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 I can't stand that. I can't. I want something meatier. I want something deeper. I want something that reminds me of this God that we're reading about right now because this is how they sung, right? That's what I want. So one of the people I used to listen to and still listen to uh, is an artist, older artist by the name of Michael Card. Love Michael Card. You know why I love Michael Card? Because Michael Card sings Scripture, he has two whole albums on the Old Testament, two whole albums on the life of Jesus. He's got an album on the, the uh, uh, Revelation, got an album on Hebrews, got an album on the writings of Paul. I mean, seriously, the dude sings about Scripture. I love listening to Michael Card. No, do I like every song? Is every song put together the way that I'm like, oh, I love this beat and what? No. Some of the songs are hit and miss just like every other artist. But what I love about the songs is they remind me of the God whom I'm serving, right? They're almost like modern day psalms in in a regard, only in the sense that it's reminding me of what's already there. That's what the psalms are. It's reminding of these promises that are there. And so it lays out this covenant. And, And listen to the scripture back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 16, and see if it doesn't coincide with this whole section that we just read. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 16. And after the king was settled, this is King David, In his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. And Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. And that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord says, Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I've not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as as my dwelling. Wherever I've moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why haven't you built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. 
I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I've been, I've been with you wherever you've gone, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I'll provide a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people, Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. And when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. And when he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken from him. As I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Did you hear the echo of that passage of Scripture, of that promise of God to David in that section we just read? See, this is sung to remind ourselves, it's sung to remind the people of Israel of the promise that God had before them concerning David, concerning his offspring. And we go back to Psalm 89. And we look at that section of Scripture. There's so many things that are said about this. And one of the really, really cool things that's in the middle of this, I just had so much fun going through this. I don't know about you, but I had so much fun going through this because I get to see Jesus in every little piece of this psalm right here coming up before Easter. And so what we look at, I'm going back. Where are we at? There we go. Okay, so verse, verse 26, he will call out to me, you are my father, my God, the rock, my savior. I will also appoint him my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. And I will maintain my love to him forever and my covenant with him will never fail. I will establish his line forever, his throne as long as the heavens endure. What an interesting way to describe this descendant of David. That he's going to be the firstborn, the most exalted of all the kings of the earth. There's another place where it describes the firstborn in this way. We find it in Colossians chapter 1. Starting in verse 15. Talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning 
and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out from the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. That he's the firstborn over all creation, the very descendant of David that's promised, right here. And in firstborn here, it's not talking about the idea that Jesus is a created being. Please understand that. That's not the idea behind that. The idea is that all authority has been vested to him as to a firstborn son. If you were a firstborn son in the Jewish culture, you were given the authority of the family, right? Not like the Godfather. I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. Okay, nothing like that. Okay? But the firstborn of the family is the one who's going to get the authority of the family. And so the Father has given all authority for judgment, for redemption, for all things to who? The Son. And it has pleased Him to do so because He has reconciled through His blood the people of the world who believe in Him. Right? Because all things have been created for him, by him, whether it be powers or thrones or anything, you name it. This is a promise. This is a fulfillment of that promise that comes through Jesus Christ. Now understand, Ethan doesn't live during this time, right? He's looking forward to these promises. He uses these words led by the Holy Spirit to write those things down that find their fulfillment in Jesus He's looking forward to something he doesn't fully understand. That the Holy Spirit has revealed to him and said, these are the promises. This is the promise right here that David shall have somebody on the throne forever. We see it as being fulfilled in Jesus. He didn't. That's important. That's important as we look at the next section of Scripture. Because Psalms takes a, a, a sudden turn. When we look at this psalm, it takes a huge turn in the very next verse. We've been praising God. We've been, we've been talking about His covenant. We've been talking about His covenant with David. And then verse 38, it, the tone just changes. It shifts from exaltation to remembrance to what's happening. Literally, that's, that's really what's, what he's asking. Verse 38. But you have rejected, you have spurned, talking about God. God, you have rejected, you have spurned. You have been very angry with your anointed one. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You've defiled his crown and in the dust. You've broken through all the walls and reduced his strongholds to ruins. All who pass by have plundered him. He's become the scorn of his neighbors. You've exalted the right hand of his foes. You've made all of his enemies rejoice. You've turned back the edge of the sword and have not supported him in battle. 
You've put an end to his splendor and cast his throne to the ground. You've cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with the mantle of shame, Selah. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how fleeting is my life. For what futility you've created all men. What man can live and not see death? Or save him from the power of the grave, Selah? O Lord, where is your former great love in which, you're, in which in your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, Lord, how your servant has been mocked, how I bear in my heart the taunts of all the nations, the taunts with which your enemies have mocked, O Lord, with which they've mocked every step of your anointed one. Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. That's a huge switch, isn't it? What could be happening during this time? Not sure. Because the psalmist doesn't give us an, an answer as to what's happening. I have three guesses as to what could be happening during this time. First thing is this. This could be early in the ministry of David where he's being chased by Saul. His kingdom is supposed to be established and yet it's not. And his foes are running him down. He's having, to make, um, he's having to make friends with enemies in order to survive the attacks from Saul. Ethan could be with him during this time. Wondering, wait a second, but God, you said you were going to establish this, right? This could be the time with Absalom, which makes a little bit more sense, because the time with Saul happened before Nathan's proclamation. The time with Absalom happened after this proclamation. The proclamation that he was going to have a person on the throne forever, right? And Absalom comes in and he overtakes the kingdom and chases David out. Ethan could have been with them at that time. And saying, wait a second, God, you said, you said this was going to happen to all generations. And we're just here, and now we're already kicked out. And we're a laughingstock to everybody who sees us. Or the third thing could be this. Nathan was prophetically given a vision of what was going to happen to Israel later. I lean more toward this time. That it's not just a matter that... that because David's kingdom is fairly firmly established. Solomon's kingdom is definitely firmly established through his lifetime. And if Ethan's a contemporary of those two, outside of those two little uprisings, if you will, if you will, it's a pretty stable kingdom. I tend to believe more along the lines that God has given Ethan a vision of the future and understands that Jerusalem's going to fall at some point in time in the future. And that seeing that vision brings into question, how are you going to make this happen? Remember your promises, God. You said that David's line was going to last forever, and I see them going to exile. I see everything seemingly destroying my idea of what forever is. There's nobody on the throne. How are you going to cause this to happen? This, this is very contentious for me because you're showing me something I believe is true because it comes from you. 
And yet I'm coming back to your promises. You know why? Because I rely upon your promises. Because you are good. You are faithful. You are righteous. You are true. Your judgments are right and true. And nobody's going to argue against them. And when you say something on oath, and when you promise something, you always bring it to pass. So I'm having a hard time thinking in my mind how in the world we're in this hard time over here where we're going to be exiled from this very kingdom and all hope seeming to be lost and the line of kings seemingly broken from David. God, how are you going to show yourself faithful? How long? How long is this going to be? And remember, Ethan is not like you and me. We're looking back at those promises being fulfilled in Christ. He's prophesied about them. He's talked pretty specifically about who Jesus is. But not quite understanding. Right? Isn't that what we see? talks about in first peter where it says you know the prophets long to see this day they were looking forward to find out exactly when these prophecies were going to be fulfilled but they didn't know exactly when because it was uttered through the holy spirit by god through them something they didn't fully understand i think ethan has got the same thing going on right here I don't fully understand. I see this vision of Jesus. I see this vision of the promise of God forever. And yet I see the destruction of Jerusalem and I don't understand. And it's why it's important that Ethan began this psalm in praise. It's why it's important that he continued this psalm on the promises of of God. Because he's looking forward into a future that he doesn't fully understand. And he feels as if he's living in the middle of it as he's writing it down. It's hitting him so hard. And he wonders how he's going to hold on to faith. And he starts with the proclamation, I'm always going to praise you. You are so good. I'm always going to praise you. He even ends it very quickly. Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Because it sounds like, wow, we're being taunted every step, but praise be to the Lord forever and ever. I'm not stopping. I'm still going to praise God in the midst of all of this that I'm seeing that I don't fully understand because he's holding on to something that you and I need to hold on to as believers in Jesus Christ. Because we have some unfulfilled promises that have not happened yet either. And we're walking in through times right now that are a little bit more uncertain than we've ever walked into before. Would you guys not agree with that? It's been a year. People are talking about, are we ever going to get back to normal again? I'm not joking. A year ago, people were saying, oh, absolutely, this is just a very short period of time. Now they're questioning whether or not we should go back to normal. Whether things should be the same. And how much has changed in the last year for all of us. And how many of us are holding on to faith? 
Matthew 24. Jesus talking about these times. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. And as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. And then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. See, we have promises too that we're looking forward to the return of Jesus. And Jesus said that when that return comes, before that were to happen, you're going to see all types of problems. Nations are going to rise against nations, kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be famines and plagues and earthquakes. Have we not seen all of those things? But the end is still to come. And people are going to arrest you and they're going to put you before kings. People in their own household are going to be divided. Where's the promise of his coming? When those hard times come, isn't that the question we're going to be asking? Isn't that the same question that Ethan is putting forth now as he's looking forward from the nation of Israel's perspective and the covenant promises that God had given Israel to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ, but he couldn't see it. But he held on to his faith saying, you know what? But I know one thing, God is faithful even though I can't see it. For you and me, when we go through those trials, the trials themselves are not an abandonment of God because we were never promised that. So when I read Matthew 24 to you, that's realistic what we were told was going to happen. But you know what happens in our mind? Why, God, why is all this happening to me? When did you, didn't you say that I would be with you forever? Yes, but it's not here. One day, someday, Jesus is going to come back. One day, someday, all these things will be made right. One day, someday will happen. You know why? Because Jesus promised it. He promised it to you. He promised it to me. And we have to hold on to that in the same way that Ethan was holding on to the promise when he gets to the end and says, I don't see it, God, but I'm going to praise you anyway. 
I don't see it, but I trust you because this is who you are. This is what you've done. And though I can't see it right now, I'm still putting my trust in you until the end. That's what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Anything less than that is not true belief. Not my definition. Jesus is the one who said, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Not those who had a good feeling about him for two or three years. Jesus died for you to give you promise of eternal life with him, but it ain't in this place. To the gloriousness of this passage of scriptures is so relevant for us today. It really is. I don't like using the term relevant. It's overused. But it is relevant today because if we can't see the end of the tunnel, it's not about God's faithfulness. It's whether or not we're going to trust that he's going to fulfill his promise. Hebrews chapter 6 puts it this way. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, starting in verse 13 is where I'm at, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with the oath. God did this by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hope, the hope offered to us, may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And he's there to provide salvation for you and I. And some of you might be saying, if you read this passage of Scripture and you see that God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, you're like, that's one. Where's the other one? The other one is his unchanging nature. And if God always fulfills his promises, if he's always truthful, if he's always righteous, if he's always holy, if he's always just then when he tells us that one day, someday, Jesus is coming back, and if you believe in him, you will be with him forever in heaven. That no matter what happens here on earth, whether you can see it or not, God is going to be faithful to his promise. And that's how we hold on to faith in hard times. It's not dependent upon us. It's, not, it's definitely not dependent upon our circumstances because we only see with human eyes. Ethan, given this prophecy from the Holy Spirit, only sees with human eyes. So he writes these questions, how long? Just like you and I would. But he has a faith that we're supposed to have because he doesn't give up on God just because he can't see because he knows God is good 
God is faithful. God is righteous. God is just. And God promised something. And he never breaks his promises. Ever. Do you stand with me? I don't know where all of you are today. Some of you might be in the midst of a hard time. My prayer is this. That you recognize that God is faithful. He's faithful. He never breaks his promises, ever. You can hold on to that even if you can't see it in your current situation. That's what having faith in Christ is all about. Is trusting that his sacrifice was your redemption, was my redemption for my sin, for something I could not do myself, and it's paid in full, and it's something that all I have to do to receive it is to accept this amazing gift of Jesus and trust that it's good enough to fulfill all his promises. Every single one for me for you because he promised it and to hold on when it gets tough to hold on because he doesn't promise it's going to get easier just because you accept him as Lord and Savior to hold on and trust that all that he said about his coming again about him taking us to be with him is true and we can hold on to it and because we can do that we can endure whatever this world has to offer It's the only thing that will get us through those times where the world is hard to live with. We're going to end in praise today. You guys, I just want to end in some praise. You may not know the song. You may know the song. It's an older song by Andrew Peterson. I think we need to spend time in the wonder of God, remembering His goodness through Jesus Christ. It's an old song by Andrew Peterson called Nothing to Say. Would love for you guys just to listen, have it as your prayer today. After the song is over, the elders will be coming up front. If you need prayer for anything whatsoever, we would love to pray for you. Otherwise, go out, live gloriously for Jesus, revel in how good he is no matter your circumstance, and trust that he'll be faithful to the end so we can be faithful to the end. God bless y'all. Have a great week. Go out and praise Jesus because he's worthy. Let the world know it. God bless you.